everybody, and welcome to another episode of That's Odd. I'm your exhausted, sad, and hopeful host, Johnny Townsend. And with me, as always, is my good buddy, who I'm assuming is also the same adjectives that I am, Chris Chavez. What's up, everybody? I am just as exhausted after a mind-numbing day at work. Yes. dealing with the curse last night. Oh, man. And even yeah. as we tried to start today, my dog pukes on the middle of the floor right as we're getting yes. ready to... <laughs> I'm like, what the heck? And not, not just that. So I take her downstairs. She pukes two more times down there. Oh, man. Yeah, She's so, all about the puke right now. Oh, uh, God. I'm just thinking, like, I'm going to go down there to to quite a surprise after this episode. So that yeah. curse is is keeps on giving. <laughs> yes, yes. So just to let everybody know, this is what our third attempt to, to record this episode. The third, that is correct. Yeah. yeah uh, so the last one, my computer decided that the internet, well, the internet decided it should go out. So, and then my computer went out. That was so it's amazing. been great for me. I literally, I screamed. the The curse is a unforgiving mistress <laughs> who who cares not for one's. Uh, mood or how they're feeling or feelings or <laughs> who they are. It just, it just, I'm telling you, one of us did something to somebody who was into witchcraft and we just didn't know it. <laughs> I think, like seriously, I think maybe we were just kind of contemplating what this uh, Halloween we should do for a Halloween special. Maybe we should try an exorcism of the show. We need something, man, because <laughs> this is a real thing. And like I'll, yeah. the funny thing is, is uh, my wife was working last night. She came home just as I was come. I was downstairs, and she goes, "Oh, how'd the show go?" I said, "Yeah." I said, "The curse struck again," and she knows it's legit. You know, it's not like yeah. really. So she's like, "Oh, are you kidding? What happened now?" <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. I, I told you I'd wish that my end had kept recording, but my computer went out, so it didn't save anything because <laughs> you could hear me scream like I just screamed. <laughs> Just out of frustration. And something broke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. But we're here, and we're here for another episode of That's Odd. We're going to try this again. Fingers are crossed. Uh, like Hulk Hogan used to say, uh, <laughs> we took our vitamins and said our prayers. <laughs> so we hope we can get this done. All right. Creeper Hulkamania will ensue. And speaking of Hulkamania, Chris. Yes. Uh, I'm really hardcore into pro wrestling. I'm a wrestling nerd, and... One of the greats, one of the greatest managers of all time, and those were the people who would come out with the wrestlers and would do the, a lot of the talking for them and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Was Bobby the Brain Heenan. Oh, and the brain, yeah. The brain, yeah. He recently, sadly, passed away. He had a long battle with uh, cancer and was, was not in the be best of health. But he was a legend, and he was one of my favorites. And... There's a story about Bobby that goes back to 1975. Ooh, it's a good year. Yeah. Oh, yes. Is that when you were born? <laughs> no, it's just a good year. Okay. I think dis right, disco I was in full swing. <laughs> was it? <laughs> oh, I like how this is going. <laughs> so, uh, in, in this time, it's it's not like it was now where you had like one huge company, you know, the WWF and or the WWE as it is now. Yeah. And uh but during this time there's like a bunch of different co uh, companies in different territories is what they were called. Mm -hmm. Like you had one in the south, and you had one in the northeast, and yep. you had one uh, out west and all that kind of stuff. So it's almost like the divisions was... in NFL. 
Yes. Yeah. That's kind of how it wasn't until uh, Vince McMahon kind of really grew the WWF and it kind of took over everything. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, Bobby Heenan was actually a pro wrestler before he became uh, a manager, but he quickly realized that his gift was in managing <laughs> and, and talking. He was one heck of a talker. He was a great uh, commentator, prob- too, with Jim Ross. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, very much so. He's probably best known for those who aren't, you know, who aren't really into wrestling. Uh, one of the biggest events to ever happen would be when Hulk Hogan body slammed Andre the Giant. Oh yeah, and Andre the Giant was accompanying to the ring by Bobby the Brain Heenan. Yep, uh, he was his he was his manager for that. Was that WrestleMania two or one? I think it was three. Three, yeah. Uh, but also now we all know, and I'm sure I'm not uh, spoiler alert on this. Uh, pro wrestling is is more like a scripted event, right? What? What? We kind of, what? I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's like now we all kind of we all know the deal, right? We know that that this what what it is. But however, in the '70s, that was not the case. Uh-huh. Kayfabe, uh, which is what they call it in the wrestling lingo, uh, was alive and well. And by that, that means everybody thought everything was real, was legit. Everything that was going on was what was really happening. Uh, the bad people were really bad people. The good guys were really good guys. Everything was legit. They believed it down to the letter of what they were being sold. Yeah. That went all the way up till what, the nine, 80s, late 80s, where, where they started just kind of... Uh, early 90s around in there is where it kind of started. Yeah. Some people kind of knew, I mean, before then, it was kind of you know a little thing. But it really became well known in the 90s, I think it was, when yeah. some documentary came out that kind of... You remember the documentaries, like, uh, I think Fox had one where they had a magician come up and tell the magician <laughs> secrets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had something very similar, honestly, that happened with pro wrestling, and that was one of the things that kind of broke it open. Oh, really? Yeah, it's true. Um, That's awesome. <laughs> I still remember seeing that when I was younger. <laughs> uh, anyway, so we're going to Chicago in 1975. Bobby Heenan was already a manager back then. He was managing for a wrestler known as Nick Bockwinkle. I don't know if you know that name. He's actually a legend in the business, honestly. He was one of the best bad guys in the 70s. And his manager, of course, was Bobby the Brain Heenan. And back then, the crowds took it real. I mean, they were hardcore into it. You can go back and watch old shows and see how much these people would get into these shows. They would scream and yell at the bad guys, and they would cheer on the good guys, and they meant it. Uh, Bobby was out there at a match, and, and he was managing Nick Bockwinkle, like I said. And Bobby was really, really good at getting the crowd really, really mad. He would do all the little things a bad guy would do. He would cheat for his guy. Uh, he would distract the ref so his guy could cheat. And all those little uh, little things like that, he would do those things. And the crowd would hate him. They would boo him. He would yell, would he yell at the crowd? You know how they turn around like, You shut up. You're ugly. Oh, yeah. Your mama's oh, ugly. Yeah. Yeah, he would just talk about every single one of their moms. Uh, <laughs> that's what he would do. Well, this time, though, was a little different. Uh-oh. There was a guy in this crowd, and he was very much anti-Bobby the Brain Heenan. He hated him. <laughs> couldn't stand him. To the point where he actually had a gun with him at this show. Wait, what? Specifically? I'm, yes, he oh, had a gun man. with him. 
and he had finally had enough. At one point, apparently, in this match, I can't remember who the match was against. It was a, another big-name guy, a good guy at the time. But uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan had cheated for his guy, and they thought they had won, right? So this guy got angry. And he pulls out his gun. And he's not in the front row, by the way. He's in the middle of the crowd. <laughs> and starts shooting. What? Trying to shoot at Bobby the Brain Heenan. He misses Bobby. And in fact, he didn't even get close. But however, he did hit four other people. Fans. What? He hit them. Like uh, two were hit in the neck, I think. One was hitting a thumb. Uh, one was hit in the shoulder. Uh, I can't remember where the other one was hit at, but thankfully nobody died. Just but there were some serious injuries. Though. They were shot by a gun. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. Now, but of course, Bo- Bobby the Brain scooted out of there as fast as he could. What were you going to say? I was going to say. Now, did they jump on that and play that into a storyline like later on? You know what I mean? Well, that it was that the fact that he was he could you know. He had he was so hated. People shot at him. I've never oh, heard this before. They would definitely use it, and I'm not even done yet. <laughs> All right, so Chris, if I tell you this story and I say this guy in, in the middle of a crowded air arena pulls out a gun and shoots at at people, what do you think happened to the shooter? He was tackled to the ground and wrestled the gun away. Somebody pounded on his head until security got there. That's what you would think, but he actually got away. The uh, he was never arrested, and I'm going to read you a quote from Bobby the Brain Heenan himself. Uh-oh. This is his quote: "Uh oh, the guy who did it actually would continue coming back to wrestling shows that were held there, and nobody would say that they saw him do it. He even had police around him to make sure he never did anything again." Oh my God! So what that meant was everybody knew who did it. They knew that he did it, but they let him come back to watch the shows. <laughs> that is insane. Yes, is what? that not odd? That is super odd. That it. So they never nothing. Never prosecuted. Not a thing. Right. Yeah. And he yeah. just kept showing up. Yes. And this is before I, metal detectors were at any of these oh yeah, stadiums and arenas. Yeah. Uh, but like you said, in the seventies, people thought this was legit. Do you remember oh, yes. the the whole uh, the whole thing going on between Andy Kaufman and uh, Jerry the King Lawler? Yes, so much so yes. that they would show Andy Kaufman. For anyone who doesn't know, listening uh, was a comedian um, that maybe was got he was on SNL in the first couple like first season, first episode actually. But he was a comedian yeah. who was very famous for just being very wacky. Um, he was on a TV show called Taxi in which he played like uh, this foreign driver uh, and he had a really specific way of talking and he'd say, thank you very much, you know? Yes. Uh, but he would. We could actually, we could technically do a show on him at some yeah, point. Yeah, this dude legit would get yeah. into these, like he'd play a part or do something and he was legit, his life was almost complete performance art. And there was a time in the 70s where he got into the whole wrestling thing and, and uh, he came on and developed this this feud between him and Jerry the King Lawler, uh, who was yeah, a wrestler. You know how he time. did that, right? He would, he would wrestle women at first. That's Oh, that's right. He would, yeah. he would go out and tell women that they weren't strong and they were weak yeah. and they could come and try to pin him. And like these big women would come down and beat his ass. Like they would really beat him up for real. 
Be- and- yeah, and I think he would cheat a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it became so. this big thing, and Jerry, and so much so that they were both on uh, a talk show, a late night talk show. I think it's like Letterman or something like that. I think it was. And yeah. uh, he hauls off and slaps the, was the other way around. Who was it? So Jerry slaps uh, Kaufman or vice versa? I can't remember. If I'm remembering right, Kaufman threw coffee or something on Jerry. Oh, that's what it was. And Jerry turns around and just knocks the living tar out. Like <laughs> legit slaps yeah. him hard and right off his feet. Uh, yeah. And people, a lot of people bought into it like that. That was real. But yeah. they were literally selling it because, like you said, back then, that was their living. So if it came out that what they were doing wasn't real, they would lose so many fans that really invested how much they felt about this character. Uh, but, geez, man, to go so far as to bring a gun because you know the guy you hate the most is going to be at the arena that you live by. And yeah. if you get a chance, you're going to try to put a bullet in that dude's head. <laughs> I want to know. I want to know who this guy is. He had to have some pull that nobody would turn him in. Everybody was afraid of this guy. <laughs> I was say the fact that we don't know his name. He, of course, <laughs> yeah. he has some sort of pull. And that dude's yeah. name would be should be in like the the Hall of Fame of wrestling lore. You know what I yes. mean? <laughs> yeah. Dude, that's insane. That is a crazy I, story. And he would keep coming back. By the way, so he had zero fear that anybody was going to do. <laughs> yeah, anything. he don't care. Yeah, he's like I'm like the honey badger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't give a shit. Um, <laughs> that's really cool, dude. I like that story a lot. Uh, partly because I am a huge wrestling fan as well, uh, and because I remember growing up watching the Brain as well. And it did. It was crazy when I saw that he passed away. So that's a good. Uh, yeah. That's a nice tribute to uh, to him. Yeah, he's one of my favorites. So very cool. My uh, my story is a little bit. Um, there's a little. There's a few parts to my story. Let me put it that way. Uh, some of it has to do with mountains. Um, and I think the last time we tried to talk about this, I was asking you if you live, live near the mountains and you said you're by the Appalachian mountains. So you, you have an idea, um, of, you know, the height of mountains, how big and majestic they can be. Uh, and as we all know, the biggest mountain on this planet is Mount Everest. That's right. Mount Everest is, um, it's got an altitude of 29,029 feet. It's part of the Himalayas out in Asia. Now, did you know this? And this is this is a little uh, pull the back the curtain. I started to tell you this yesterday, and this is where I lost you. So I don't know if you heard me. So I don't know if you know this, but the border between China and Nepal actually goes runs across the summit of Mount Everest. So you okay. could you could climb up to the summit and then be in China and then just go down the other side and you're in a different country. I did hear you say that, and <laughs> I responded, but you didn't hear me. Obviously, <laughs> that's pretty incredible. I actually didn't know that either. Yeah, it is pretty sweet. Um, so some of the stuff I found out about Mount Everest was that as early as the 1920s uh, were recorded attempts to reach the summit. Um, but let's be honest, dude. I think people have been doing it since the beginning of time, right? Like Bible times, people went up into mountains. Isn't that where the Ten Commandments came from? Didn't Moses go up into the mountains? Yeah, that's one of the stories. It's just anytime it's kind of human nature to want to explore and see things that are seem out of reach. Exactly. So mountain climbing has been around forever. Um, but in the 1920s is when we started really recording these attempts to try to scale Everest uh, and reach the summit. The first official uh, summiting of Mount Everest was 1953, where somebody actually got to the very top of Mount Everest. Uh, I don't know if you know or listeners are very aware of how treacherous Everest is. As you start to get higher and higher in elevation, you start to lose oxygen. It starts to thin out. 
a lot of these professional climbers that climb bring oxygen tanks with them, these little mini oxygen tanks that they use. Um, so there's that. There's the fact that uh, it's rough terrain. It's a wild mountain. It's not like it's got paved roads or even any paved walkways. Uh, <clears throat> covered in snow. And because it's so cold, it's kind of, the wind up there is insane. And weather is, it comes out of nowhere. Like you could, it could be a sunny day and you're climbing up the mountain and within an hour, a blizzard blows in. Oh yeah. People literally freeze to death up there. <laughs> oh yes, they do. Um, so as of this other piece of fact that I found here was as of 2016, 4,469 separate people have summited Mount Everest and they've done it 7,646 times. So that so some people have went, have went more than once. There's people who have done it like ten times. Wow. Yeah, and they become guides. They end up bringing on, bringing out their parties. Now I don't know if you know this, but that is a huge draw to uh, that area of Asia where where Mount Everest is. Um, it's a big. They they make money on it. It's like it's like a, a huge tourism thing. And why? Because there are all kinds of climbing companies, uh, adventure tours, all ki- even Sherpas that try to make money. Uh, guiding you to get to the top of Mount Everest. Um, so far, there have been 282 deaths uh, on Mount on Mount Everest, and they they go from everything from avalanches to falling, uh, freezing to death, lack of oxygen. Um, but what I want to talk to you about tonight happened in 1996. I don't know if you're aware of. Have you ever heard of the 1996 Mount Everest disaster? I don't know. It does not sound familiar. Do you did you ever read the book or see the movie Into the Wild? Yes. Okay, the the author who wrote that um also wrote a book called Into Thin Air and it's about this disaster, but the reason he wrote it was because he had first-hand knowledge. He was there when this happened. He was up he was in a group of one of these like climbing adventure tours uh and he was scaling up one side of the mountain. Uh, meanwhile, there's all these other tours, you know, these teams of people climbing and, 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 uh, some people are doing it by themselves cause it's just their personal thing. Some people have Sherpas, um, but they're all doing it, you know, on this day of May 10th, 1996. Um, and let me just get into it. So there's a number of climbers and teams going up this thing. Right. And, uh, all of what ends up happening is a blizzard blows in and it's late at night it's like past midnight when a blizzard blows in and people have just gotten to the top were starting to come down from the mountain when this came in so there was really no place to to shelter yourself from what was coming in a total of i believe it was said there was eight people let me check this real quick because i don't want to get this wrong uh yeah it said a total of 12 people died trying to reach the summit that day um wow I'm sorry. No, that's over the entire season. On this night, eight people died. So put it that way. The entire season, 12 people died. Eight of them were on this night. Wow. So, yeah, this blizzard blows in. Now, all of this stuff that he talks about in his book, Into Thin Air, it all happens on the south face of the of the of Everest, uh, the summit. The story I'm going to talk to you tonight about is on the north face. See, what was happening on the north side is that um, there was where is my thing here? Uh, there were climbers from the Indo-Tibetan border police expedition from India that were trying to make their way to the summit. They wanted to be the first Indians to ever ascend Everest. Uh, and they end up getting that. The expedition was led by Commandant Mohinder Singh, and they were the first Indian ascent of Everest from the east side. Um, 
So there, he's a part of this, but there's a, a few other people I want to tell you about. Um, uh, so on May 10th, 1996, Subidar Siwang Samanya is one of these guys, okay? There's also Dorje Morup and Head Constable Siwang Paljor. So I'll, I'll refer to them as Samanla, Morup, and Paljor. Now, Pal- impressive. <laughs> impressive. Uh, <laughs> these guys were a part of a sixth team six-man team this six-man team was part of that indo-tibetan border police that were trying to make their way up there so as they're making their way up on may 10th 1996 uh you know it's the weather starting to turn kind of rough they're not sure if a blizzard's really going to come in yet they're, they're trying to read it uh and they're so close to the summit um as the weather starts to get kind of bad three of their their party decide they want to turn back uh, so, but Samla, Morup, and Paljor decided they really wanted to try to make it. They wanted to go to the summit and get there in time. They figured they they were some. I don't know. I don't know if there's somewhere to hunker down up there. I don't. I have no clue. But they really wanted to try to make this. They wanted to do it. Um, now, one thing I wanted to bring up was that say uh, Paljor was wearing a pair of green Koflak mountain boots, uh, and that comes into play later green mountain boots so they make their way up here and as they get closer to the summit the weather really turns bad like it's getting super bad you can tell that there's a bad storm coming in so um what ends up happening is they go uh they get to they say they radio down and say that they got to the top the base at the bottom of the thing the, uh, the people at the base are just flipping out they're like yeah you know they got to the top they got to the top um Later on, it's disputed by John Krakauer in his book uh, that they didn't really make it because I guess it's based on some analysis that by given by certain teams that passed these guys when they were trying to make it to their summit that st- saw them stop about nine, uh, 492 feet short. Hmm. But what had ended up happening is uh, they get to this spot and they put up prayer flags and, and, and what they're called katas, uh, these different little offerings and things. Um, and the leader, Sam, Samanla, tells uh, Morup and um, Paljor to go down. Go ahead and go down. He wants to stay there and do a couple of more rituals, uh, religious ceremonies. And at first they kind of question him, uh, but then they just they see he's, he's kind of like he's going to do this. So they go down. The weather's really getting bad now. They can tell that the storm is moving in. Um, people down at the base, they could see the headlamps of these two men at the very top of the towards the top of the mountain uh they could see them moving around and trying to make their way down uh there's other climbers japan there's a party of japanese climbers that would later say they saw these two men on their way down too uh they didn't look like they were in any distress they were kind of like um you know trying to figure out some sort of attachment or whatever so they that was the last they were ever seen wow they were never seen again except paljor so here's the thing. If you decide you want to climb Mount Everest and you approach from, uh, what was this side? Let me think here. I believe it's, oh, the Northwest Ridge. When you approach from the main Northwest Ridge, uh, you come upon this little alcove. It's like this little mini cave. And uh, anybody that enters from the north side comes across a body that is curled up in there. Oh, wow. And he's wearing those green boots. He froze to death. He tried to 
cover his body and if you go on wikipedia and you just or, or go on google and type in green boots just type in green boots the first link that comes up is about this guy from everest and you can go you can go to wikipedia and look him up but there's a picture of where you can see his body um just kind of curled up there turned away from you you can't see but he's totally like wrapped up you can see he was trying to protect his his front and everything from the the weather the thing is is that it completely it gets so cold like you freeze to death almost instantly if you're not constantly moving, if your brain, if, if your if your blood isn't 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 you know going through, like you are literally, you stop, you will freeze. People get frostbite right away just from stop moving while they're up there. If they wait too long, they sit down and take a breather too long, they start to get frostbite in their limbs. This guy froze to death, and there's and they know him as Green Boots. People who scale, he's still there. That's the thing. This was the part of the my story that I found odd. Yeah, that's mind blowing. Really. I am. I'm a 39 year old man. Never in my wildest, not even wildest dream. Never had I ever heard of the fact that people who die on Everest stay on Everest. Nobody removes those bodies because it takes two things. Number one, it takes a lot of time and effort and money. And number two, it's fucking dangerous, man. People yeah. die all the time just trying to get to the top and down. Imagine trying to do it and then bring a body with you. It's not happening. So wherever people fall. Wherever they decide to sit and rest and then freeze to death, that is literally where they are and how they are still sitting. There are climbers who will come across some of these bodies and then on the way down or uh, the next time they come up or they'll tell another climber who's going up that this is going on and they give flags and they give these things to just cover the bodies. But for the hmm. longest time, Paljor sat like this uh, and people would just know where they were on the mountain because they came across green boots. He was known as green boots. This was a, a popular place to stop and rest. If you go on Wikipedia, you'll see a picture of it. And in the distance, there's these two big orange oxygen tanks. Um, and a lot of people will just kind of use their oxygen tank and leave them behind. Like this is just kind of like one of these areas that when you're on a hike, you know what I mean? You kind of stop there and you can tell this is where everyone stops. Cause there's like yeah. an empty bottle here, a cigarette butt there. This is considered a, a popular rest area. Um, and I believe it was like a year ago, they said that he wasn't there anymore. And they thought maybe the Chinese government came and removed the body because it became too much of a thing. Like you got it, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. But then they said they found him again, and he was at the same. He was at a, a slightly different altitude, so they think either like the wind or something must have moved his body. There's people also who will push bodies off cliffs and stuff so that they're no longer sitting out in view to respect the dead you know like mountain yeah. climbers will do that but isn't that odd man that that there's over two like what did i say there's 282 deaths and there's like 280 yeah. bodies all over everest in different states there's a whole valley of all different colored parkas of all these dead people that they call rainbow valley crazy wow. that's wild yeah that's odd that is odd. That is very odd. Had never, never knew that there was all these dead bodies all over Everest. Like I always heard about people climbing Everest. I always thought to myself, could I ever do that? I mean, just you know, but never once ever in anything that I learned was that there's just bodies just kind of all over the place up there. Yeah, so I guess I shouldn't go rock climbing then. That's what this is telling me. <laughs> not, not in Everest, not unless you're prepared to come across some. And, dude, it's really weird. You can find all kinds of sites online that are actually dedicated to all the different bodies out there, where they are named. There's pictures of all the different states. Like there's one where this woman literally leaned up against her bag real quick to catch her breath and froze that way. And like it's wow. now, now it looks mummified and everything, but it's crazy. So they go up there, and, and they sadly lose their life, and they kind of become – 
a marker for other people. Yeah, that's it. It really is. It's um, it's odd. <laughs> yeah, that's very odd. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's the point well. of that show. I want people when they hear stuff go, wow. You know, and yeah. then we're done talking and they sit there thinking about it for a little bit going, I never knew that. Like, that's odd. That is very odd. That's super odd. Super, super. Super odd. Well, I think this has been a, a couple of great stories here. I I do, too. And I'm just thankful that the curse realizes that we respect it. Uh, yes, we are not very much so. We're not challenging yes. it in any way. No, I learned my lesson <laughs> many times already. Yeah. Every time we talk, man, it's like, oh yeah. <laughs> yep, I've been put in my place. <laughs> That's awesome. Glad we got one out of the way. Glad the listeners were able to get an episode in. Um, I'm really hoping that we get back on track. I know my schedule's been kind of crazy, so that's been a part of what's happened. But like, literally, the curse is a is a real thing. It has pushed our, our release schedule all over the place. So my goal is to maybe get us to a point where we have something banked, so it's constant. Something's coming out. Uh, and keep the listeners coming back because I know that they love the show. We get all kinds of feedback. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad it happened today. Yeah, we're very grateful for anybody who listens, by the way. Uh, and please rate, review, subscribe to us on iTunes. Most definitely. Actually, if while you're in iTunes, find my other podcast, Back Issues Comic Book Podcast. We talk about comics, pop culture, all that fun, good stuff. Also... You like my? You do like my? Do you like that voice? I do. I Keep doing it. <laughs> also, <laughs> why don't you head on over to our network, bicbp-radio.com. Bicbp-radio.com. There you'll find this show, as well as back issues, and Johnny's other podcast, which he'll tell you about here in just a second. Bicbp-radio.com. Head over to Instagram. Follow us on Instagram <laughs> at history. I can't keep this up. Follow us at history creeps uh, on Instagram. At some point I'll get a Twitter, but I don't know if that's as important for this show. Our, this show is actually, I'm telling you, people love this show, man. We get a lot of downloads and feedback and all kinds of stuff on this show. So uh, we, again, uh, from my end, I want to thank you guys head over to all those things. I just said, even though I was being ridiculous, do it, follow us, go to uh, iTunes, Stitcher rate review. Let us know how we're doing. Johnny, take it away. Tell them where they can find you on the socials. Also, uh, you can find <laughs> my other show, retro bliss, which is about, uh, old school video games. Uh, do it with my buddy, Trevor. You can listen to that on this very same network, as well as on iTunes and Stitcher. And please, uh, go to Johnnyism28 on uh, on the Instagram. That's where I post my art and such and try to sell it. Please come uh, buy it. That would be great. And as Chris also said, I want to echo it, that uh, he's grateful for all you who listen. <laughs> am, <laughs> I am I grateful? I am, actually. Yeah, I am, too. Hey, I uh, wanted to ask you something before you close out. There's this new show. Um, these guys are freaking awesome. If you haven't heard it yet, guys, go check it out. It is on the same network. Uh, but have you heard it? Because I know you're a wrestling fan and we talked about Bobby today. It's a show called The Dusty Finish. It's like these two uh, old vets from the wrestling world talk about just old, uh, all different kinds of old pay-per-view events. And uh, they give their rundown and analysis on these matches. But it's like it's the knowledge they have. The banter is what makes it. It's a phenomenal show. Have you heard this yet? I have. I, I will echo everything you just said yet again. Uh, also, it's a great, <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good show. I, it's 
it's probably becoming quickly my favorite wrestling show, and I listen to a lot of wrestling podcasts. So. What's it called? Tell the people what it's called. It's called The Dusty Finish. I want to reach out to them because I think I want to get that dude, uh, one of the guys on there, Tate Souple. I want to uh-huh. get him on here because I know he said he's got a weird story from, from the wrestling world that I think would be kind of a cool that's odd story. That would be fun. So that at some point, I'm going to see if I can't get him on here. But yeah, okay. definitely go check it out. It's on our on our uh, network, BICBP-radio.com. It's called The Dusty Finish. I'm done. Whatever else you I'm, got, Johnny. I'm pretty done. I'm just done and done and also done. Uh, for Chris Chavez, this is Johnny Townsend. As always, people, stay odd. Stay odd.